Meanwhile, Cleo is like a thousand miles tall, just stomping off somewhere in the background looking for treats. Absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Oh no, she's ripped open the roof on the milk factory. <laughs> <laughs> we need we need as much catnip as you can get us. Immediately. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am your host, Blue, and I am joined by Indigo. Oh, hello. Who is way the fuck on the spot this time, uh, <laughs> because uh, Red will not be joining us in this episode. She is currently out of the office. A local small town is reporting signs of an inciting incident in a hero's journey, and she's been sent to advise. So you are stuck with us two idiots. Hell yeah, uh, that's right. Be fun. Uh, Indigo, how's, how's it going? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm just guesting on my own podcast, so we're really... We're really going all in on the uh, doubling down on what my one salient character trait is for this episode. <laughs> And we're all, not the audience would see this, but we're also doubling down on my salient character trait of being a technological disaster because we had a solid 40 minutes of tech problems before we were able to get this call going. So yeah, what an we absolute solved it. mess. It was, um, it was a, a beautiful combo of like issues that we still have not diagnosed, but we have worked around and issues that we thought we were done with, but have now newly discovered. Uh, so, you know, it's it'll sound fine because we'll fix it in post. Uh, the yeah, sentence exactly. that sends me into a spiral every time I say it, but we'll fix it in post. Yeah. You guys will never know. It's going to be great. <laughs> we, we have that power. It, the, the, there truly is a spectrum of like, there's the videos where you write everything out weeks ahead of time. And you, most, most of the time you fix it in pre, uh, there's the <laughs> podcast where you can fix it in post. And then there are live streams where you don't none of that it. matters. It's live. <laughs> Everyone's already heard it. Your fuck up is there on the internet forever. It's, <laughs> It's definitely a spectrum of uh, of technological funnery. I, that's not a real yeah. word, but we're going to go with it. But Blue, it, Blue, objectively, <laughs> ostensibly, as the producer of this podcast, I assume that we have a format that we usually follow uh, in some degree. And I think that format usually starts with us talking about the most recent videos. So why don't we do yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's let, let's let's just jump into it. Um, yeah. This past video uh, was the History Makers on Sappho, which mm -hmm. is... So yeah, Sappho was really fun. Uh, I, I think this might actually be one of my favorite videos that I've ever made um, for a handful of reasons. Um, one, it's, it's Greece, which is just like... Obviously, I, I'm, I'm very easy uh, uh, to to please in that <laughs> regard. It's like, is it Greece, Rome, or Italy? I'm probably going to love it instantly. I am what uh, the kids call a basic bitch. Um, but also, it was a really cool discussion because even though Sappho is kind of not really what one would qualify as a history maker, because she didn't write history or even write anything that informed the creation of history. The biggest stretch was when we did Confucius, who was very much not a historian, <laughs> oh, objectively no. not even a writer, but his philosophy had a huge impact on how uh, Suma Chen and the other like Han Dynasty historians mm -hmm. and, and onward constructed history. So Confucius still counts as a history maker. Sappho, objectively not. But the discussion around her in regards to um, what poetic environment she was um, creating in, um, how she occupies that, that kind of middle ground between epic and um, historic, uh, theatrical, and philosophical and the other genres. Some commenters pointed out that Lyric does actually reach back pretty far. Um, there, there are some accounts that Lyric was roughly contemporary with epic, and the epic poet Hesiod has some distinct qualities of Lyric, but for the purposes of the discussion, 
version, the heyday of lyric was in the middle of the heyday of epic and the like classical Athenian explosion of like everything. So it was cool to see her in that kind of historical context within Greece itself, but then also we got to talk about the linguistics of different ancient dialects and how sources treated her work and reacted to it and repurposed it and repackaged it through the ages so you can see like the change in how she's understood uh, in the Athenian period, in the Hellenistic period, in the Roman period, in the Byzantine period, and then into the Renaissance. And today there's like every single person who looks at Sappho sees something different, which is really, really cool. So um, I, I had a lot of fun with the historical over discussion, talking about how Greek culture itself kind of went through a little bit of a blender on its way to the modern world, because we think like, oh, you know, there's this stuff written down and then something happened and it burned down to the library and now oh, we lost it. Now, darn, it's like, no, it's, it's usually much more complicated than that. And there's a lot of times where we have a lot of resources that we just don't have the tools to actually unpack. So it's like, we still had Sappho up until like the ninth century. It's just that no one could read it. No one spoke Aeolic. <laughs> so it, it, it was interesting. But one of the things that I did want to mention right off, um, right off the bat, three minutes into me talking about this, is that I got a handful of comments um, that were worried that I was engaging in by erasure, which I very much wanted to address because that was absolutely not my intent. And I specifically wanted to avoid name-dropping letters on the LGBT acronym to try and categorize Sappho as anything and just use the very broad umbrella term of gay and not go any further because our understanding of sexuality in our modern context, as I say mm -hmm. in the video, is absolutely not anything that the Greeks would have even remotely understood or, you know, applied to themselves in any rigid um, or even like a fairly fluid way. Um, it, was, it was much less defined for them than it is for us. So I didn't want to pigeonhole Sappho into anything by saying, oh yeah, you can describe her as this and you can describe her as this. So I said, we can, you know, call Sappho a lesbian, but that's not an exclusive label. And that's the point I wanted to make. So if, um, if, if you are bi and, you know, you identify with Sappho and you felt like I was telling you, no, you can't do that, please don't take that away. That was absolutely not my intent. Um, if you feel like you can identify with Sappho and she has an experience that, you know, you think you also have and you think that she also has and you feel that connection, good. Like, let, let her be, like, your person. I didn't want to put our categorizations onto Sappho to exclude anybody because that's where the the area gets a little bit tricky. So a, a little bit of a, a kind of jumping out to, to give a, a quick uh, big disclaimer, but that's just something I wanted to make very clear because I saw some uh, some people getting a little bit confused or upset by it in the comments and definitely not my intent, but um, yeah. anyway, always, yeah, it's fun video otherwise. <laughs> it was a super fun one. It's, it's one of those, um, you know, dealing with a uh, part of society that is so commonly erased throughout history it, it creates this really like gray area when you then go and do try to include them later on because obviously Sappho is somewhere on the LGBTQI spectrum but in a way that we don't necessarily understand in the in the, in the modern sense very different from how the Greeks would have understood it so you know yeah. applying those labels retroactively can be very difficult and I, I, I'd like that way that you know you go about addressing yeah. it where it's like if you and identify with her in some experience then that is probably yeah and and that's the thing is the Greeks really wouldn't have cared all that much. I mean, they, you know, they, they talk about Sappho and they create these stories about her, but they, they had no interest in saying, oh, you know, um, we have these very specific thoughts on, you know, what gender of people Sappho slept with. The label that stuck with Sappho most through her like her post lifetime up until like the 1800s was that she was promiscuous. Lesbian just meant promiscuous until the turn of the 
20th century, which is just wild, because we think, like, how could lesbian mean anything other than, like, women loving women? No, that's recent, fam! <laughs> so, um, it's, it, it's interesting to see how those kinds of things can, can change over time, but mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I really enjoyed talking about was how the Renaissance view of, like, oh, she was censored by the church because she was gay. It's like, no, no, her work was lost before there even was a church. Um, so, the, the Renaissance attitudes towards the classics carried a lot of assumptions that we have sometimes thought, yeah, no, these are actually pretty good assumptions, and sometimes we had to be like, oh, wait, this is actually very much wrong, and it's only recently that we start to kind of realize that, mm -hmm. oh, these people who were, you know, writing in the 13, 14, 15, 1600s were kind of just like, you know, shooting from the hip, talking out their ass, just completely <laughs> off their rocker on some crazy, uh, crazy tangent that they had no way to support at all, so the Renaissance scholarship is fun, but sometimes it's just a total mess. That is not unlike the experience of recording this podcast at times. <laughs> 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 is that so? It's like instead of uh, instead of um, losing ancient texts, it's losing the thread of whatever the hell Red and Blue are talking about and having to piece together. Oh, what, what could these ancients be trying to convey to us when they were ranting about Batman Beyond for 25 minutes in the middle of a trope talk about... Um, Islands Nations. I was watching Hello Future Me's video earlier today. Uh, oh, so but, fun. Yeah. Loved him. Yeah, I mean... Man, th that Sappho video was really, it was, I think, one of my favorite videos that you've done this year for sure, yeah, recently, in it, recent memory. It was it was a lot of fun to make, and I even when I was writing it, I'm like, oh no, th this is good, this is good, because it's mm -hmm. the kind of stuff that I can't talk about if I'm doing a straight linear history, because I'm talking about either, you know, the uh, archaic Greek period, or the classical period, right. or the Hellenistic period, and even if I do, like, a really big survey, kind of all at once, I lose a lot of the other details, so taking a look at, like, the, the history of, like, all of Greece from the Archaic period, you know, before Athens was an empire, up through the Byzantines, up to modern scholarship, and looking at, like, that huge stretch of time through the lens of this one poet is a really interesting way to kind of mm -hmm. see a lot of different trends that were going on with, like, talking about the Suda and, like, classical preservation of sources in a Byzantine text where the Byzantines are like, shit, man, I don't know, this is just what we've heard. We have quotes from someone else that was talking about Sappho, and we, like, kind of think that this is a thing, but, like, we don't know, so they get, you know, like, Kirkulas of Andros, like, even they get mixed up on a lot of stuff, and you can kind of see the, those threads over time of people looking back trying to figure out what on earth is going on here and it's it's interesting to see how previous generations have tried to do that with with varying degrees of, of success it's a neat take on the history makers series as well too because typically when you're doing these videos it, it feels more like you're starting from the history and then just kind of expounding upon the maker of it but here it was almost yeah. like you were starting from an example and then kind of building out this literary history from yeah. it, which is a which is a yeah, fun yeah. new angle that we haven't seen in the series. So yeah, much it's it, it's a new option for history makers. It's not just you know, is it a, a writer who had an influence on the way that we understand mm -hmm. history? Is it someone whom I can talk about that lets me talk about a lot of other history that surrounds them? Yeah, it, it reminds <laughs> and me kind of that's the kind of, of stuff that keeps uh, <laughs> series like this flexible. <laughs> it's it's sort of something that we I think you guys you started to do a little bit with the Anna Komnina episode. I can never say that name yeah. correctly on the first try. Uh, <laughs> where, you know, obviously she did write a work of history, but in, in talking about her, you got to talk a lot more about the Byzantine history surrounding her, particularly about her her father. And um, that episode also had a very, like, far-reaching yeah. sort of scope of what was covered. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that I find fascinating is I've done a lot of Greek history makers, clearly. Uh, like, half the <laughs> playlist is, is Greek people. Um, but mm. I think it's interesting that my two favorite of them so far are are Anna Komnena and Sappho, which which makes, like, sexism is already really fucking stupid, but, like, when you have oh, Sappho 
and Anna Komnena, and then this culture is still super sexist. It's like, how dumb and blind are you to deprive people who are clearly capable of such amazing things of, like, basic opportunities? So anyway, it's like, as if, as if sexism wasn't frustrating enough, it's also like, ugh, but think of how many more of them we could have had. So, how yeah. dare you get your sexism in my classics? Curse you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you bring politics in this discussion of history, culture, and literature. Sorry, can you tell I've been on the internet recently? Uh, oh, man. Oh. Yeah. So, speaking of speaking of things, uh, podcasts. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> this of. is what we in the biz call a fantastic transition, uh, which is made even smoother by the fact that I am calling attention to it mm -hmm, and lingering mm -hmm. on this point for way too long. Oh, yeah. Red had a video on Enki and Nima, fun video. She even said herself, like, it, we don't really need to talk about it all that much. It's just kind of like a video that exists and is cool, and it's a neat myth. I wonder somehow how we still have a lot of these ancient myths, because, like, like 10 people can read cuneiform. But, like, anyway, cool video. Anyway, yeah. um, Indigo, uh, oh <laughs> your your role in the in the, the OSP uh, cosmos is, um, in addition to editing uh, my videos, uh, you are the the keeper of the podcast. Yes. Uh, so now to kind <laughs> of, like, flip the, flip the format a little bit and... And, and, and treat this as, as somewhat of like a, a guest episode where you are a guest on your own show. Um, <laughs> what's that like? <laughs> yes, well, funny that you should ask. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with the OS podcast, I have great news for you. You're listening to it right now. Uh, it, it's surprise. <laughs> surprise. You know, I'd, I'd been working for the channel for a couple months uh, as, as Blue's editor when we first started the podcast, and it's kind of famously have expounded that... Uh, I, we, I was listening to you guys slander the idea of starting one, like, oh my god, on stream, yeah. like, we're never going to start a podcast, this is never going to happen, it's just, it's too much work. Um, and then I furiously wrote up a three-page pitch for what a potential podcast <laughs> would look like and why we should start one, and here we are now, uh, 13 or so episodes later. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, Blue, I... It like slides a folder across the desk. I've got something you want to yes. see, which like, thank you for being bold and taking I that leap so because scared. after <laughs> listening to us just furiously dunk on podcasts as a worthless medium that we had no interest in doing, you're like, okay, I hear you, but also you're wrong. Read this pitch. <laughs> it was one of those things where I was like, while writing the pitch, I was like, oh, this idea is so solid. There's no way that, you know, this is, we're in, we're golden, but I hadn't like Really, most of what I've been doing for the channel up till now, other than I think I was on two live streams previously, but other than that, fully behind the scenes, very much a support role. So I was like, I don't know if it's like, am I overstepping by like pitching a show? Is this too far? Like, am I gonna, am I gonna get fired? And then uh, you guys were totally <laughs> fine with it. You were so, you guys were so cool about it. You're like, I think you sent me like a gift that was just like, we're in. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I had nothing to worry about all along. It was totally fine. Um, that was way too easy. <laughs> this, this was way too Local easy. Local news, overly sarcastic productions editor gets thrown under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Out on the street, brick to the feet, thrown in the Hudson River <laughs> for daring to suggest a podcast. <laughs> Indigo removed from the, the light spectrum rainbow. <laughs> Roy G. <laughs> Roy G. Bill, oh, Bib, now gosh. Roy G. Bib. <laughs> Yeah, it's like those, those those photos of, like, Stalin from the 20s where he literally photoshopped out the people who he had offed. So it's like going back, it's like just visible light no longer has indigo on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, censoring real world. But uh, since then, like, um, I, I really, I wanted to create a space to kind of, some one of the things we do in live streams that I think the community really loves and that I, I really think is this, kind of the strongest point of them because, Blue, I love you, but your gameplay is probably not why most people tune in to our live streams, unfortunately. 
Um, Indigo, don't be polite. My <laughs> gameplay is trash. My tech support is trash. My vocal fry is trash. No aspect of my performance on a live stream <laughs> is, in my mind, anything that anyone would find enjoyable, and I don't know why we still do them. Uh, you're you're fully correct to suggest that podcasts are a better medium. <laughs> well, the, what, why we still do them is because it lets the community kind of interact with you guys very directly, and a lot of the comments we get on live streams are people love uh, when you are answering some, like, questions from the chat or like addressing historical okay, points enough, that enough. people want clarified in games. <laughs> this is getting into the tech side of it. But basically the podcast was conceived as an opportunity to do more of that, but in a more structured way and, you know, a little bit cleaner on the tech side. So, um, you know, it's been, it's really been interesting to kind of get to see just what it is that the community is interested in hearing about. Mm -hmm. uh, what I do every single week is read every question and ask OS pod to pull them for <laughs> the next segment of this podcast. And, you know, you guys ask some really interesting stuff and also some very, I am amazed at how specific the jokes that we make that get remembered are like the ninjas come up all the time. And I'm like, that hasn't been in a video. in I think like a year or two at this point, the, the ninjas haven't actually been in a video for about, four years yeah um, because i was still like on the Baby low blue. side of college when we were doing the ninjas <laughs> gag yeah so getting to see like what people remember and what people are interested in is always really fascinating and then yeah i'm a huge audio uh editing nerd i also run another podcast uh, just for fun called movie struck which came out a second episode came out the monday that this podcast was released so that rewind three days you can go find it if you want yeah um and it's just something that's so fun about well, we'll li link in the show notes we'll link, link in the, in the show, show notes um there's just something that's very satisfying about hearing the moment when everyone's audio tracks come together and going through and cleaning it up and having this like finished product to deliver into the world in a very like timely manner i have a background in radio and film and tv production so it's sort of like the marrying of those two things and i, I really mm -hmm. love doing it for the channel so i don't really know what else to say about the podcast because i don't really need to pitch it to you guys since you're already listening to it if you're here but i hope everyone enjoys. <laughs> i don't know indigo i'm not quite convinced <laughs> <laughs> well blue have you considered an after show format with a little bit of fan q a sprinkled in the back to really help you connect with your community and consistently provide corrections and uh, expand upon the regular content because that's an option if you want to tune into your own podcast every other yeah, week. Yeah, shit, that, that, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Uh, yeah, Someone no, should sign start me up. That. When can we start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, I, I don't know, we, we, we've said this on previous episodes, but I, I'm very glad that we have this podcast. It's a fun space. And I, I know that Red and I will often, as we're just texting through the week, like, oh, you know, here's the thing that I really want to bring up on the podcast. Um, so it's kind of like a fun bi-weekly anchor point actually yes. that was something that someone commented is Every that instead of saying bi-weekly we, we should say fortnightly because a fortnight is very clearly two weeks yes. whereas bi-weekly could mean literally anything mm -hmm. um so uh <laughs> this is a, a fortnightly anchor point for the channel um to just yes. talk about the the, 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 the nonsense the reason that's it on. is fortnightly is because a blue video comes out one week a red video comes out the next, and so we want to include yeah. one of each video every podcast. So, so if you are ever unsure yeah. of when the next podcast is coming out, and you don't want to go back to the previous episode to hear when it is uh, scheduled for, if it's been a red and a blue video, 
that week, get ready because the podcast <laughs> is coming out. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah. Uh, I, speaking of uh, of this uh, this Q and A stuff, that yes. is the uh, uh, the second half of the podcast. What do you say we uh, we smoothly transition into the second half of the show? Well, with a transition like that, how could we not uh, draw attention to our smooth transition and then transition into the next part of the show? Let's do it. <laughs> I, you know, I was wondering whether this podcast would be more or less streamlined with or without <laughs> Red here, and I feel like it's kind of both. Yes. Uh, on the one hand, I think that I have a really hard time carrying conversation, <laughs> and I get to these moments where I want to say something, and usually I can let Red talk for a minute to give me cover as I formulate my thoughts. I don't have that safety net right now. <laughs> so now you're just zone. hearing... Yeah, now you're just hearing what Blue and Indigo were like as friends for the past three years of our lives before <laughs> Indigo started working for the podcast. Yes. <laughs> or for the working on the podcast for the channel. But anyway, yeah, transition. Let's, Let's go, go to go. the Q&A. Let's get into Woo! it. Let's go. Woo! Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Production, back from our incredibly smooth transition. Transition out of the <laughs> after show portion um, or what you call professionals <laughs> yeah this is not uh i don't know what i was gonna say so we're just gonna carry on wow yep smooth. move on keep going <laughs> the show must no, go on no, no mistakes one take we got it <laughs> oh boy okay these questions are all gonna come from ask os pod on discord where all of you the lovely fans have asked questions for the lovely us um <laughs> If you have a question for the podcast, I mean, yes. you can also hop over to Ask OS Pod and drop your cue in our Q&A area. This first question in particular comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the channel, help pay my salary, keep the lights on, you can become a patron. And you might have your question read first on the podcast. So this question comes from the Super MM, or Super M, I'm not sure uh, which of the two, but it is a question that they've asked, so let's read it. Two blue and indigo. Since Red's name matches her hair, would you ever consider dyeing your hair to your respective colors? I have not. Um, I feel like my my uh, blisteringly bright blue eyes uh, do the work <laughs> for me, so I don't know if I need to uh, to dye my hair. I I know it's like a thing that a lot of like you know big like you know streamers mm -hmm. and, and and game people tend to do like uh, Markiplier dyed his hair red, Jacksepticeye dyed his hair green. You know it's it, it's a thing. I don't have any interest in it because my my hair is already kind of like loud enough i don't need to paint it a color too uh. <laughs> i love that you think your hair is loud you have <laughs> blue is very very lovely hair he's <laughs> you just have a dude you just have a short dude haircut I, I mean, but like it's, it's got the poof and the curl, and like some people have shorter hair. My my hair is pretty like Mediterranean wavy and, yeah. and, and junk like that. Uh, we we have very similar hair, but just a different, very different lengths. I I, yeah, I don't think I would different lengths. <laughs> different lengths. There was a when when the BDG uh, haircut video came out. Um, there was a moment where the the before photo was my haircut, and the after photo is Blue's haircut. <laughs> I, I remember watching that video of, of Brian David Gilbert's comprehensive hair tutorial and at the very end after he just like kept going and going and going and cutting it shorter he looks into the camera and like it was like that bastard we have the same haircut now and he wears it better <laughs> oh curses <laughs> how dare he <laughs> um, I don't think I would dye my hair indigo just because I have very I have very very dark brown hair and so dyeing my hair requires a lot of 
time and effort and I hey, for just, me it's like i'm just too lazy for that <laughs> yeah i i dress in all blue i dress monochrome that's how i get my my color oh, yeah if you're not um, dressing like an everyday power out. ranger you're doing it wrong i exclusively wear all red or all green more or less every day at this point not necessarily intentionally but just because i think i look good <laughs> in those colors and so i buy a lot of red and green clothing at a certain point you have to accept like be the red ranger that you want to see in the world you know yeah, be the protagonist of your own story. Exactly. I, uh, this is something that, that Cyan will, will often uh, poke fun at me for, but um, the way that I like to acquire clothing is that I find, like, single-digit items. You know, I have, like, three shirts, but I have each <laughs> of those shirts in, like, four different colors, and one of them is always blue. Uh, so I have uh, the same bomber jacket uh, by Volante Design in blue and mm-hmm. in brown. Uh, I have all my shirts in blue and brown, uh, and sometimes I have some grays, but it's like, I very, very simple clothing options, but in lots of colors, and one of them is always blue. <laughs> yes. Hey, it's a look. And you know what? It's a very consistent brand, so that, as it, as a producer, it, it I can appreciate your uh, adherence to the brand. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get recognized often in public. It, it happens very rarely, especially mm-hmm. the past year, but I feel like the times when it's happened have been because I am wearing blue, and it's a lot <laughs> less of a jump where it's like, that tall, poofy-haired man looks kind of like blue, but if I'm wearing blue, it's like, oh, that's blue. <laughs> I've been wearing my Volante OSP mask around a lot, and I always oh, have this yeah. moment of like, oh no, if someone says like, hey, are you an OSP fan? And I start talking, are they going to know who I am? Uh, but <laughs> it has not happened. It's never, not once has it happened. I'm really good at the subway, like, don't talk to me glare, so I think that that has warded off oh, yeah. people from interacting with me in general, other than the pandemic happening and, you know. Yeah, no, that's, that's a vital subway skill. Anyone. Oh, it's exactly. necessary exactly. if you're going to get around. All right. <laughs> Do we want to jump to the next question from the uh, from the the general Discord because I have curated some questions to ask you. Oh, well then, absolutely. Let's. Uh... Do my job for me, please. <laughs> okay, fantastic. I've, I've got a handful here. Um, the first one is from uh, Crimson Plays. Could we please get some Indigo Deep lore? Sorry if this has already been asked and or answered. It has not already been asked and or answered because uh, I think there's a lot of deep lore that just exists in various parts of the world in the OSP verse and has not been like brought together. For anyone who is uh, for anyone who is not aware of the OSP deep lore, uh, Indigo, please explain that you are not red and are not cyan. Yes. Uh, <laughs> despite the fact that there are three women on the channel, we are three distinct entities and not all one mega woman, although that would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> I am Indigo. The OSP Cerberus. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can combine and form Voltron. Uh, but despite the fact there are three women on the channel... Um, we all serve very different functions. Red, as you uh, know and love, is the uh, founder of OSP and resident mythology and literature expert. Cyan is Blue's beloved fiance and a dear friend of everyone because her pinpoint snark is always on point and <laughs> it can aim at anyone at any time and we all need that <laughs> in our lives sometimes. Um, Ruthless precision. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but always with a smile, which is the best always part. With a, she's so <laughs> nice about it, but also so very good at pointing out the exact thing that you're doing wrong. And you know what? She's right. She's right. <laughs> but then she will bake you a lovely tray yes. of, of, of delectable oh. goods. Um, so good. Uh, just as, as a show of, of, of goodwill <laughs> and peace. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, and I'm Indigo. I, I started editing for Blue uh, actually a, a little over a year ago at this point. I think it was like 
late January, early February of 2020. Yeah, um, I was editing. I, ju I just was editing Blues videos. Uh, and then in, like, August, I think, we pitched the... August podcast and since then i've been the resident podcast producer and I've, I've done a few other edits for other things on the channel I, I did the most recent trailer um and i i do a lot of uh pulling super cut stuff from the streams so whenever there's a a live stream what will usually happen is i'll get sent the full stream and then i'll cut it down into what's called selects which is a fancy word in the post-production biz for the nice <laughs> clips and then I send those to Red, and she picks what she wants to animate from those, so she doesn't have to watch yeah. several hours yeah. of stream content. I, however, have watched all of the stream <laughs> content. I am the keeper of the OS streams lore. <laughs> exactly. And those selects are huge because, like, the the highlights are so much fun, so to, fun. to like see the finished product of. But it's the kind of thing that is prohibitively time consuming mm -hmm. uh, on the part of, of of Red to juggle like all of those like like. Usually it's like a dozen hours of, of stream if we cut yeah. like like four immortal streams together, or, uh, four Breath of the Wild streams or, or, or whatever. But mm -hmm. yeah, um, as far as like deep lore goes, <laughs> um, I think a lot of people are not, are not aware that uh, we actually met on the fencing team yes. because all of my friends in college, aside from uh, my one uh, roommate who was a green who was not on the fencing <laughs> team, are people who I met on the fencing team. All of the greens are from the fencing team. Literally every single green is from the fencing team. All the team. greens are from the fencing team. <laughs> I have one very clear memory of the actual exact moment that we first met because uh, I had just joined the team, but I, I had fenced in high school, so I had equipment with me and I needed to go drop it off in the, we had an equipment locker. And Cyan actually led me back to the equipment locker where I saw blue wooden dowels in hand struggling to assemble oh, oh a shelf. <laughs> he was oh, doing his best. Right. Uh, but it, we, I was it trying was to build a shelf working. for our for our equipment bags because they're always stacked on top of each other. So I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, this is a really tall like cubby. If I can build a shelf, so I was using like like fully like 20 dowels to try and it like was... weave a shelf. I think I have a picture of the absolutely shattered dowels and just a stack of bags from afterwards. Good. But that was the first time I met Blue. I'm like, wow, this guy is really committed to his shelf architecture. <laughs> and I did a lot of tech theater in high school, so I'm. And, and I'm a big carpentry person, so I was like, mm, I'm not sure that's gonna work, but I, I don't really know this guy, so I don't wanna ruin his, I don't wanna ruin his whole career like that right out the gate. <laughs> um, so he's got a lot of duct tape, but that is not structurally that is not, sound. I don't, I don't know about that one. So yeah, that's when, that's how Blue and I first met, and then we quickly became uh, fast friends through exposure therapy, basically. I, I think I saw you like four times a week at practice and we had that, Yeah, that's times. how practice works. It's like you, mm. you don't know someone at all and then in two weeks you feel like you've spent a lifetime with them. Yep. Uh, and that's what it's always like every every new year <laughs> for the fencing team when you get a whole bunch of new people on the team and it's like, new friends, yes. let's tell you all the shit that's ever gone down in this club. <laughs> tell us all your favorite things. Let's just bond. Let's, let's have fun. bros. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then I, I, was a, I was a film major in college, so... Uh, in terms of how I started actually working for the channel, I had been giving Blue editing advice on and off uh, for a couple months before I started working for him officially. Um, there was one summer we lived very close to each other and I would just kind of, I, I had days off, so I'd come hang out while he was working. Um, we had a lot of key conversations about keyframing in Premiere and... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and then... That's right. I was looking for, <laughs> I was looking for an internship uh, one semester and Blue was like, well, why don't you be my intern? And... <laughs> The rest is history. 
And this actually loops into another question that I was going to ask Indigo from Scenic Poet. Uh, Two Blue and Indigo, any fun fencing stories? I think, I think that the, the shelf qualifies as a fun fencing story. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and what blade did you prefer? Um, which is a different question oh from which blade did you end up fencing? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had been fencing um, throughout high school. And while I was in high school, I competed in women's saber, which is the piratey swishy one and also blues weapon of choice. Uh, but when I got to college and the team there, I started in Saber and quickly realized that um, there was almost no women's foil fencers. Uh, and because I really wanted to go to tournaments more so than I cared about necessarily which weapon I was fencing, I ended up competing in foil for most of my college career. And I personally kind of like foil, but all of our friends are Saberists, so I get a lot of <laughs> I get a lot of flack for that. Um, but I, I basically yeah. one of the greens, one of the greens is, is, a, is foil. a foil. One, one of the, the greens, greens and I kind of like foil. co-captain foil for a while, so we 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 are okay. But everyone else was deeply yeah. saber. Um, but if I had to pick, it's one of those yeah. two. It's my preference. Basically, not Epe is <laughs> my preference for fencing. <laughs> not mm. not Epe, not Epe. There there was there was a, a hot minute where I thought oh. that I would like go halvesies no. on on Saber and Epe. That lasted two full weeks in my freshman year, and I'm like, yes. no, I can't do this. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just. I, I, because uh, the the club I learned at in high school started everyone on foil, so I had a background in foil when I got to college. It wasn't so much that I was starting from scratch there, just because no one was there. I actually did know kind of what I was doing. I had competed in foil previously, but they had a, a, the opposite problem of our college team, where there were no women saber fencers around. So I actually went to the junior Olympics uh, uh, yeah. qualifiers as a women saber fencer on their team because they just needed a fourth person to go. <laughs> I think I oh, got wow. the lowest possible <laughs> rank. Uh, I think I was the the literal last name on the list. I did not qualify for the Junior Olympics, but I was there. I tried. I drove all the way to Baltimore and everything. <laughs> I, I can sympathize with being the absolute lowest on the list. Uh, not for Junior Olympics, but um, even though I was president of the club, uh, I was not good at fencing. <laughs> <laughs> So that's yeah, that. we we had a our our club was walk on, so anyone could join. So we had a lot of very very talented fencers who would come and who had a lot of experience, and we had a lot of people who were brand spanking new who learned as they went. And to be fair, Blue, you did get much better, even in just the two years that we overlapped on the team. Like I. There's, yeah. it, it, it's one of those things where the more you do it, the better you're going to get, kind of exponentially to a oh, point. Oh, absolutely. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Very fun. Very very fun. Yeah. No, f- fencing's great. It, it's it's yes. a good sport. Swords are good. <laughs> if Swords you want to be cool. everyone's best friend at a tournament or on your team, learn how to fix equipment because that's what I did. <laughs> I was the oh, uh, yeah. armorer, yeah. which is a very fancy word for equipment manager, for like four years, and they can't kick you off after that because you fix everything. <laughs> no. <laughs> You basically yeah. own the club. You have veto power in anything. It's like, oh, you want to do mm-hmm. this? Well, I guess you don't want your blade mm-hmm. fixed. <laughs> no, don't be that much of a tyrant. But, you know, also be that much of a tyrant. You have the power. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> selectively. You, Use it selectively. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> that's, the, that's the secret. Spider-Man was right all along. Or Uncle Ben or whoever said it in Spider-Man comic. It was Uncle Ben, actually. It was almost certainly Uncle Ben, wasn't it? Okay. Yeah, no, it was Uncle We've gotten on a tangent. (laughs) Although they they give... Every version of Spider-Man, they have to find a way to very clearly say great power, great responsibility without using those exact words. And it's fun seeing the, like linguistic gymnastics they go through to convey that idea differently in different movies and comics. (laughs) With tremendous to-do lists comes 
tremendous <laughs> power. I don't know. I'm not a comics writer. <laughs> I feel like that is one permutation Hit that me exists. Up, Marvel. Anyway, let's let's, let's get on to another question. <laughs> <laughs> let's do another question. All right. What's up? What's next? What you got? I've got another one uh, here. Uh, it's technically two questions. Uh, one uh, is from Atypical Guilt, or Atypical Galt, uh, and the other one is from Arkgaz. And basically they're asking, what is something that you uh, most enjoyed about Shanghai, something that uh, surprised you about it, and uh, perhaps one thing that you, you don't miss in the slightest? So something you liked, something that surprised you, something yeah, that you well, didn't like. Yeah, well, straight off, uh, I freaking love the food. I miss it every goddamn day. I... <laughs> I did not cook once <laughs> while I was there. Oh my god, it was so delicious. Everything I got—I used to eat jianbing every morning for breakfast, and I've not been able to find good jianbing in the United States. So if you know where it is, please let me know. <laughs> I miss my juice lady. There was a woman who had a, a stall where if you just walked up, and as long as you could say what fruit you wanted, she would juice it. So I used to get tamay bolozi, which was strawberry pineapple juice. What was surprising? Uh, do do I was—I mean, I didn't. I knew there were going to be a lot of, like, street cats and stuff around before I went, but I was surprised at just how many there were. So, so many. Uh, (laughs) I was studying at Fudan University, uh, and on campus there, there's, like, a few cats that I got to know, like, exactly where they would be on my walk, because I was like, okay, this cat lives, controls this area of campus, and, like, these cats control that area of campus. I don't know if that's necessarily the most surprising thing, but that's the thing that pops into my head immediately. Um, so I'm going to go with that, I guess. <laughs> no, that, that, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Surprising, surprising quantity, quantity of cats. Because that is something that's like, oh, yeah, you know, you hear about that. And then you go no, and it's, it's like, oh, whoa, this is very striking. And it's a constant feature. It's just a pervasive presence of one of, of the cats. most immediately <laughs> noticeable differences between, like, U.S. cities and uh, every city I went to in China. Because I was like, wow, like, I know that there are stray cats in the U.S., but I feel like I never see them. Whereas here, I'm like, oh, okay. They're everywhere. In terms yeah. of things I don't miss, one of the things about being a foreigner in Shanghai is that sometimes people will stare or take photos of you because you are very clearly not from around China. Um, I am a white lady, so pretty obviously not <laughs> Chinese. Uh, and like I would say, ninety percent of the time, I didn't really mind. Like if I'm on the subway and someone wants to snap a subtle sub, like cell phone pic, like whatever, man. I mean, I, we've all done that with someone dressed crazy <laughs> on public transport. So if that's something that's happening, it's fine. But when it's like three in the morning and I've been up all night writing a paper and I'm running to Family Mart to like <laughs> grab a snack to just because I'm just absolute trash bag status, like that, I don't really want to be stared at while it's happening. And so that's something where I think if I had stayed there. <laughs> longer like for, by the time it was the very end of my stay there i was like i'm i'm done with yeah. being the foreigner and mm-hmm. that's something that you can never really escape because yeah. you are the foreigner but just something that like i think is good to keep in mind when you're traveling to places where like maybe they're not necessarily as diverse as the united states or, or in the same way as the united states necessarily is that like yeah at the end of the day people are people people is the same is kind mm-hmm. of my motto in life you know day to day i was just a person living their lives in Shanghai and everyone else yeah. was just people living their goddamn lives. So it, it's really cool being in a place that you're not familiar with is is very exciting because um, provided the language barrier is not too high mm-hmm. to 
scrape over. Um, you can basically just get by and, and still, yeah. you know, have your day-to-day -day routine, but you can enjoy the the, the subtle differences in, in how things are. So when I had my semester abroad, it was a summer, it was only six weeks. Uh, I was in uh, in Padova, which is a, a small town in, in, in northern Italy, kind of like just like 30 minutes out of Venice. There were a lot of things that were, you know, fairly understandable and, and similar to the way that I would exist on the college campus, but there were differences in, you know, how I'd um, have my breakfasts, I'd, I'd go out for like a little um, spot of, uh, of tea or, or uh, a cappuccino and a little cornetto in the mornings in between my, my break in classes, and uh, you know, five o'clock, you, you sit your ass down in a piazza and it's aperitivo <laughs> time. It's like, all right, let's go. Yeah. Uh, so the last like six hours of your day, you're, you're basically just out the whole time. Go, you know, go, uh, you, you meet people in one place and you go get drinks, and then you take a walk <laughs> and you go see a thing to, you know, go go look at the bridge or whatever and then you go to get dinner and then you go to see some other thing and get a gelato and then it's just it's fun and it's that experience that i feel like i never had at college because there weren't like places to go to do things it's just all you know university buildings and junk and you had too much work going on but when you're studying abroad it's like yeah i can just walk around for four hours and just grab some drinks and sit down and you know like people watch and just enjoy the scenery it's so cool and i love yeah. that so it, going to different places for for study abroad is is always a fun yeah um, opportunity think, uh, uh if it makes sense with your class schedule and all i think that there's something to be said for the amount but actively going somewhere that is um a different culture than the one that you're used to and but i i want to put that with the caveat yeah. of like don't engage in like cultural tourism so much i i mean going and just try genuinely trying to like function in this other place to visit but to be you know a, mm -hmm. a citizen of that place and for lack of a better word because you know it's very easy to fall into like a very touristy mindset if you're going somewhere that is very foreign to you but that yeah. is a two-way street because that means that when people come to visit your home they're going to think of so think of everything that um when people come to visit your home frustrates you, they're tourists there, you know, like walking, blocking the sidewalk, walking yeah. slow, try to let people still just be people living their day, but maybe just soak in like a new sense of ar new architecture, try some great new food, you know, see new sites. Um, one of the things that I really loved about Shanghai in particular when I was there is that because I was there for such a long time, I was able to really just kind of get a routine going. I was... Uh, mm -hmm. Working for a, a media production company while I was there, so I had like a job basically, and then in, in my classes as well. By the end of the trip, I think some of my best days were the days where I didn't necessarily go and specifically seek out a site to see, and they were just the days that I was just want did my routine. I talked to my <laughs> my shelling bow lady uh, and yeah. the cat that lived in her shop, who was so cute. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, like talked to my boss and just chatted about how annoying our brothers were that was we bonded over that at one point and <laughs> it's just those little things and like yeah taking the subway with everyone else who was just going about their day trying to get home at rush hour like it's people are the same everywhere you go yeah. and it's just kind of like getting to experience the little differences without necessarily like drawing attention to them yeah. that i think can be really valuable from these kind of like study abroad experiences yeah for sure it's it's enjoyable to like go do the tourism circuit and if you've never been to a place yeah. before like yeah sure you know go do two days in this city and two days in this city and like get a, a real quick like bird's mm -hmm. eye view of a lot of places but if you have the time spending a, a decent amount of time like even if it's just like you know five days a week week and a half in one place and just like 
trusting yourself to 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 take the time and experience wherever you are slowly is so enjoyable because you you get that sense of you have your own little routine mm -hmm. in this new place and there are things that you'll appreciate that you would never be able to understand on you know like a one day whirlwind tour even if you have a really good guide um the experience of existing in a place not as a a tourist but as a as a traveler and as someone who's trying to just experience a new kind of place and finding what's different and what's similar is really, really rewarding. Yes. So if you have the time to spend in one place, it can be a much deeper and more enjoyable experience in, in my mind compared to spending, you know, two seconds there, five seconds there. I looked at that really fast while we were flying over it. Um, it's just a different mm -hmm. mode of travel that I, I hope we do more of as we kind of get back into the the mode of, of traveling as a human species um, because going to a lot of places really fast is is fun to see things but you know we have the internet so you can see a lot of that stuff just on a on a laptop screen but the experience of having your drink shop that you go to every day in the morning is something that you can't even slightly get so from just you know like watching a, a travel documentary or something because that that becomes an experience that you have that's mm -hmm. unique to you and your routine that you had in that place becomes a little bit of like a souvenir and an artifact that you take with you that's unique to you and your experience in that place, which I think is, is just really cool. So, uh, yeah, I, I like talking about travel. Yeah, that's this why is I the backdoor pilot for Blue and I's secret <laughs> special second podcast where we just exclusively talk about traveling. <laughs> oh my God, say the word, Indigo. <laughs> Okay, every ten episodes, every ten episodes, we have our lightning round. We'll, we'll find another thing where every <laughs> such and such episodes, we just have the travel bonanza. <laughs> travel from the podcast. Um, yeah. yeah, I I can never, I could talk about Shanghai for hours, right. so we should move on because otherwise, we we found my special interest topic. <laughs> So I've got one, uh, another question for oh, you, Indigo, which is from Agent Sinister, which is you have been invited mm -hmm, as a guest mm -hmm. lecturer at a college slash university. Uh, what topic would your lecture be about? Alternatively, what would your TED talk be? Doesn't have to be related to OSP in any way. So just you as a person, you have to, to give a lecture, uh, give, give a presentation on a thing. What's that thing? We as a society need to stop putting fishing mini games in video games. I know that this is not a serious answer to this question, but I feel very passionately about this subject. I really don't like fishing, and every game I've played in 2020 has had a fishing mini game in it, and I'm getting so tired of it. Look, I understand mechanically it's like easy to build into games, but like Hades has a fishing mini game. Fire Emblem Three Houses has a fishing mini game. Animal Crossing is on thin ice because the game is basically just a giant fishing mini game, but it's there and I see it. The Final yeah. Fantasy fishing game? Why are there so many fishing games? It's not even that fun of an activity to do in real life. I don't want to do it in a video game too. That's my joke answer. It's joke answer, but it's serious. Um, the series. <laughs> I mean, it's. I, I. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I don't know why you're. You're, you're undercutting yourself it's, here. <laughs> so I just. I. I grew up going down the shore, um, uh, the Jersey Shore, but not the one that you're thinking of. And my brothers both very much enjoy fishing, and so I have sat there while other people fish a lot, and I don't personally enjoy yeah. it. So it's very much a time where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go read my whatever the latest Jack Reacher novel is, like like the Pulp Fiction ant that I am oh. on a beach, and just you guys go fish, and then I get blindsided in Hades with a goddamn fishing video game. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but other than that, I, I have a, I do have a degree in film and television, and I, I wrote like half of a thesis. I didn't technically go for honors in my major, but I also, I also majored in Chinese language and literature, and I wrote my thesis on uh, the Jiangshu subgenre of Hong Kong horror cinema in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And so I would probably be qualified to give a lecture on kind of that development and how it sort of mirrors the anxieties leading up to the handoff from the UK to China in Hong Kong. And it's, it's, there's a whole sort of, there's a, literally a film called Vampire vs. Vampire where it is a, uh, a Jiangshu, which is not really actually much a vampire, but it's kind of often called the Chinese vampire versus a like Dracula type character. It's, uh, it's very overt. It's I love it so much. So um, any sort of like I, cinematic. And <laughs> I, I can imagine that it's quite overt. Yeah. Um, I mean, now I, now when you talk about that, I just want to see what like a Hong Kong Castlevania. Oh story well, have would I got like. good news I for need you? That. <laughs> Please consider checking out any of the Jiangshu films because they're all so fun to watch. There's I really do love that sort of like. Campy is the wrong word, but campy is also the right word for that type of spe- practical special effects in these like martial arts horror movies that are, it's it's gory but in a very mm-hmm. kind of false way and it's so so incredibly fun. I I have a special place in my heart martial arts horror kung that fu just comedy. Cool. <laughs> it's fantastic. There was like a 2013 kind of homage movie made to it. I I think it's called Rigor Mortis. That was oh, I think cool. Donnie. I want to say Donnie Yen was in it, but maybe it was someone else. And there's just, oh, God, I could talk about it for hours. But uh, movies in general and sort of this <laughs> uh, media analysis is kind of a, a special interest topic of mine. I, my, my focus has always been more in production, but, you know, in doing a lot of production work, you have to have a background in a broad understanding of yeah. watching a lot of movies and TV shows. So I have watched a lot of ba- movies and TV shows and I have very little discerning taste. So I've watched a lot of very bad things that I've enjoyed an awful lot. <laughs> um, check out Movie Struck for more I on mean, that. You're, I was going to say, you're, you're, you're here on OSP, home of the, the, the bad movie uh, did, nights on, on Twitter. Like You're in good Ray company. I <laughs> both Speed Racer and one of the Yu-Gi-Oh! movies uh, where it has the song that Kaiba plays in the when he's in the blue eyes white dragon jet uh you're not me it's a it's a goddamn masterpiece that scene <laughs> totally worth a google it's very hard to find but it's so good <laughs> um but you know we're, we're getting close to time here so before i talk about bad movies for the rest of this podcast and another one i've got a question from red for us so why don't we indulge our dear friend uh, while she's off solving the problems of small town America uh, and their possible protagonists. This comes from OSP Red. <laughs> wow. Someone in the OSP expanded crew turns evil. Who would be the most dangerous as a supervillain? Obviously Cleo. So who would be the next most dangerous as a supervillain? <laughs> <laughs> uh, who would be the most dangerous as a villain? I think we all villain. have like very different... I villainous archetypes that we would fill if that like you know what i mean yes yes like if we were Um, the injustice league of osp villains (laughs) i think if the greens collectively were to turn evil they would make like a great first half of a superhero movie (laughs) antagonist crew you know how how like Every first half of yeah. a superhero they're movie like, has the, the a crew, crew of like, or like, there's like all those snake ones. Yeah, they make a great wrecking crew collectively. The Serpent and Society. They're all fencers, so they'd have it'd be a, like a fencing themed yeah. wrecking crew. They they'd be great. They'd be fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think of the different things that each of us would bring to the table as a supervillain. I feel like like you um, and Red have two very different levels of like 
lawful evil versus chaotic evil in terms of like your approaches to supervillainy because i feel like blue you'd have a very strict like yes there has to be a process to this the plan has eighty thousand steps and they all will go off one way or another very like um very magnificent <laughs> bastardy but in a in, a, in like a very lawful yeah, way yeah I, I i think that's that's accurate on, on the scale of different uh villain tropes that we've discussed here uh on osp i think i would fall more into the magnificent bastard category whereas red would be a fantastic pure oh, evil absolutely. villain um, absolutely absolute like globe twirling yes. cackling like she'd be <laughs> she'd perfect have for the that. look we're talking um, the full like red leather cape and like the spiky like <laughs> neck thing that they always have on those like Full Magneto. I'm sure she already has one. It's just it's just behind some of the other clothing. <laughs> it's behind uh, the pile of leather jackets. Uh, underneath a pair of old shoes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. No, yeah, Red will make a great pure evil villain. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I have to be like by by typecast. I'm probably one of like the tech villains. Like you're. <laughs> I can't. I'm not quite sure if it's like Samuel L. Jackson in um, uh, Kingsman type of like new. Silicon Valley tech guy, or if it, it's more of like oh. your classic <laughs> <laughs> mad scientist thing, but somewhere in that zone is probably where if I was going vil- full villain, I'm going to augment my plan with whatever nonsense laser beam I can construct. Yeah, I think both you and Cyan could fill the role of evil inventor yeah. um, quite handily. I think <laughs> I think that'd be a, a great archetype for, for both of you. Ugh. What a fun question. I'd be terrified if any of us turned evil. <laughs> yes, obviously Cleo is like full kaiju, so she's going to be just like a massive existential threat <laughs> to the Earth. Uh, and then, But then I, I think either red or blue are probably our most dangerous ongoing threat. I think it would be incredibly funny if we had an Injustice League situation where it's all of us on like one one executive board of villains. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> we we have like weekly meetings to allocate our evil budget. It's like, yes. hey, Indigo, I, I know you are working on the death laser and that is a project that has a very mm-hmm. high upfront cost with a great long-term benefit. However, the the allocation of budget towards the death laser is really getting in the way of the weapons cost for the wrecking crew. <laughs> they need new swords. <laughs> what do we call, I guess, what would we call the green wrecking crew? Because the wrecking crew is already taken, so they need their own... Uh squad name it have to be like something green themed yes. um yeah i got yeah. nothing I, i'm not i'm not <laughs> the, the only name words that popped into my head or... like i'm sitting here staring blankly into space thinking over and over again to myself jungle boys but even that doesn't seem right <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> I guess they they have periodically um, many of the greens are friends with both of us and in the group chat will say every day we get closer to the backdoor pilot for the oops all green podcast and I'm like oops so maybe we'll just call them the <laughs> oops all it? green it's, squad no I thought it was it's all green to me it, it was it's the all name green of their me? podcast well that's their villain yeah. name now so congratulations guys okay. you can be yeah <laughs> it's all green to me every time they show up <laughs> green team. <laughs> Green team. Green team. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That is. So anyway, I, I would love to see just those board meetings and the <laughs> minutes from from our evil schemes having to having yes. to reallocate budget uh, around. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Cleo is like a thousand miles tall, just stomping off somewhere in the background looking for trees. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> oh no, she's ripped open the roof on the milk factory. <laughs> <laughs> we need. We need as 
much catnip as you could get us. Immediately. <laughs> I don't think uh, you understood just, me. Where's the... Where's the equal and opposite, like, cop procedural of just them dealing with, like, out <laughs> Cleo's grown to a thousand times her size again. She's on the hunt. Someone call in the helicopter full of full of catnip and the really, really, really long feather toy on a chain. <laughs> it's the gritty uh, action reboot of Clifford the Big Red Dog. It's going to star The Rock coming to you soon. This <laughs> summer 2022. <laughs> Cleo. Clifford and Cleo are both a kaiju. <laughs> that is the cinematic universe that I want to jumpstart. Forget the time heist. Yeah. Where's my Cleo kaiju movie? No, I'm gonna get skewered. Eat from... shit, Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're coming up. We're we're coming up on time, so we should probably wrap this. Uh, we're, we're coming up episode. on time. We, we've had enough fat nonsense on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I will do the outro since Red is not here to do it for us uh, as she so frequently uh, stalls before reading. But, you know, hey, what is this show if not winging it every goddamn time? You know? You know? We have a very rigid format, too, which makes it all the more (laughs) embarrassing that we fail so consistently. I know. (laughs) But we have pizzazz. We do. And somehow craft an enjoyable package for everyone to listen to nonetheless. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I was so worried when I started producing this podcast about whether or not we would need more format or if, like, there would be stuff that I was forgetting to do or forgetting to, like, plan out in advance. And then you guys are just good enough hosts that it really ended up being a moot point and we're totally, we could probably wing this whole thing and it would be mostly okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think one of the, the key traits of the reason that this podcast is even remotely enjoyable to listen to is that even when we mess up, we somehow manage to make it funny. Uh, <laughs> yes. And that's that's a lot of the time. So uh, let's, let, let, let's, let's take let's it away. Let's take it away. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want more of that sweet, sweet OSP content, go check out our channel on YouTube. Want to ask a question for the next pod? Follow the link in the description to ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured on air. Until next time, I've been Red Reboot. Let's go. Uh, actually, I'm Indigo. Please don't get that confused. And this is Blue, <laughs> who I think has a line here, but I just read over it anyway. Whoops. I'm Blue. That's me. <laughs> and this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Woohoo! Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on March 31st with a very special guest, friend of the channel Yellow, aka Ludo History. If you've got questions for him and or us, be sure to drop them in Ask OS Pod on Discord. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review and rate us on your preferred podcast platform. And as always, if you really enjoyed the show, be sure to check out our Patreon for more ways you... Yes, you, dear listener, can support the channel. Links to all of that and more can be found in the description below, and we'll catch you on the next podcast.